1: afternoon, good evening, good morning, wherever you're tuning in from. Welcome to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. I am very, very pleased that you're all here with me today. We've got another wonderful, amazing show. I've actually really been looking forward to uh, this show for quite a while, ever since I met the gentleman who I'll be introducing to in just a moment. But of course, first we have a little section from my book, Everyday Awakening. Um, As you know, I always start off my show with a little section. I think this one is the 100th section of my book or the 100th chapter, which means there's 26 left to go after this. So we're, we're moving along pretty well. We'll finish before the end of the year. I hope you've been enjoying these. So today's section is entitled there is often a huge difference between perception and truth our perceptions are tricky things we think we know what is going on yet we only see it from our perspective that conversation we had with our partner or the event that happened in another part of the world is open to our interpretation based on our perceptions in order to stay grounded, it is useful to ask ourselves a simple question. Is that really true? Is our perception or interpretation of a given situation actually true for other people and not just us? If a third party, third party, someone not involved emotionally in it, saw or heard what went on, would they have the same conclusion as we do? What we often think of as an objective fact is rarely so. The more we question our perceptions and our assumptions, the more we realize how much of our belief is opinion and not fact. By asking what is really true, it becomes obvious that even our own thoughts are interpretations what is true for us today is not always true for everyone else it is so it is so it is useful to double check when we recognize that there are assumptions and interpretations present is that really true if this question becomes part of our daily practice we can catch our assumptions. We can catch other people's assumptions. We can be humbler when presenting our opinions. We can connect with people on a deeper level. So can you remember to turn this simple question into a daily practice? Is that really true? So I I wrote this section after a a while ago, um, but it came after uh, uh, I I was working with someone in a session and, and they said to me, hmm, is that really true? And I thought about it for a moment, like, what do you mean? And they're like, well, I know you think that's true, but is that really what happened? Is that really honestly true for the other person, for other people involved? I had to think about it for a minute, because I always assume, well look I, this this is this is what I believe to be true what what do you mean? Is that really true? but then in 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 looking at the situation, I began to realize, oh, well, at least part of what I'm thinking is true is really just my interpretation of what's going on especially the emotional stuff around it, what they said, what they, what they did, why they did it. And, and, it, and it just kind of struck me that we have so many of these assumptions that we don't even realize on a day-to-day basis that we really believe these things are true and they may not be. I mean, they might be true. Don't get me wrong. I mean, sometimes, you know, what what is obvious is obvious and something is true. But when you begin to really look at it and ask ourselves, is this really true? Is the way I feel about this situation true for everyone involved, true for other people? Is, is what I believe to be true, is it objectively verifiable? Now, look, so, sometimes things are true that are not verifiable. And, and, and I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. I'm talking about, oh, so-and-so is a bad person because they did this. Is that really true? Why did they do what they did? Did they do it from a place of maliciousness or a place of necessity? Or were they just doing it mindlessly and they were being careless? I mean, there's so many ways to interpret a given action, a given interpretation that to say with absolute certainty, oh, this this is what's true. You know what? In my opinion and in my life, I have found that what I held as very strong truths and beliefs, especially when I was younger, over time, shift and change dramatically, dramatically. And so that's another reason why asking the question, is that really true, is helpful because it's also a reminder to us That even what we believe to be true in our own lives may not stay the same. It's not static and may not really stay true for us over the next decade, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. When we're young, we think that what we know to be true is going to be true for us our whole life. Older we get, the, the if we if we pay attention the less we hold on to these truths so tightly at least that's what I've found so that's the little section from my book there is a huge often a huge difference between perception and truth and of course that's from my book Everyday Awakening which is available at Everyday Awakening Book. That takes you to the Amazon listing. But if you're like me and you like supporting small independent bookstores, uh, you can go in and ask them to order it. It, It's uh, widely available through major uh, book distributors. So just say, hey, I'd love to get this book, Everyday Awakening, from Sam Leibowitz," and they can order it for you awesome so I hope I hope you got it so so my, my homework for you should you choose to accept it your mission this week until next week's show is to just ask yourself when you find yourself making a decision or a conclusion to ask yourself is that really true let's see what happens awesome so now it is my pleasure. To welcome to the show, and God, I hope I don't butcher his name, executive director and best-selling author Quan Huen. Is that right? Good morning. Good morning, Quan Huen. It's, it's close enough. Quan, okay, all right. You know, I look. I try to be respectful. So Quan has been described as a mighty warrior, a magician, and a mountain of goodness. He is the best-selling author of Sparrow in the Razor Wire finding freedom from within while serving a life sentence. His book was written for men that are doing long or life-term sentences, and in it, he shares how he found his freedom years before he was even paroled. He works as the executive director for Defy Ventures in Southern California, a nonprofit whose mission is to shift mindsets, to give people with criminal histories their best shot at a second chance. After spending 22 years in and out of correctional institutions, Quan was paroled from a life sentence in 2015 and created his first company, J Janitors Inc., six months later. The following year, he received the Peace Fellowship Award for his work with the Alternatives to Violence Project. Kwan has given talks at TEDx, talks at Google, and has been featured in Entrepreneur, PBS NewsHour, and numerous other publications and podcasts. Welcome to the Conscious Consultant Hour Kwan. Thank you for having me, Sam. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. I've been looking forward to having you come on uh, for a while now. So we got a couple of minutes before our first break. And I would love for you to just start to tell your story. I know it's going to take a little while, but how did you end up in prison?
2: Uh I ended up in prison for
1: shooting and killing a
2: man named uh Mindwin. And trying to shoot uh kill his three
1: friends Oof. and I I can't imagine that getting to that point to wanting to take someone's life was a a a just something that happened the spur of the moment that there were things that built up to that
2: yeah I, I in my in my book I mean that's one of uh chapter two my first uh the first line says I was not born a murderer yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah, yeah. So, so can you give us maybe just a little brief sketch of, of like how you started and and, and just roughly yeah. what brought you to that point?
2: Yeah, uh, I, first generation uh, Vietnamese immigrant. I grew up in Provo, Utah, um, experienced uh, what I do now know to be racism. It's a beautiful state, but I did experience racism growing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father passed away from leukemia by the time I was 13. Um, we had moved out to California, and um, I think a lot of my acceptance issues and, 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 and uh, identity issues were very involved in that after my father passed away, which then I funneled and I felt so accepted inside the gangs. Um, so I ended up in a very violent and ruthless Vietnamese state. I see. And that's ultimately what led me in and out of um, jail and prisons.
1: You know, it's interesting that people often don't get, like, why someone would end up in a gang. Mm -hmm. And and I think that it does kind of highlight a certain point that there is a certain safety in gangs, and, and especially when the outside world is beating you up and pushing you down that it is a, a, a not a very effective way but it is a way to kind of feel like you have some empowerment
2: yeah I mean it ties into what you were reading from your book about perception and truth right like right. my perception is that the world was against me my perception was that uh there was a uh was an outside a world against me and I felt safety inside the gang. and the truth was we were a bunch of ruthless uh misguided uh um, kids too
1: yeah yeah mm-hmm. I can imagine I can imagine uh, just out of curiosity did any of your fellow gang members end up in prison with you yeah uh quite a
2: few of them uh went to prison for different things uh some have passed on and um Ooh. I'm glad to say, though, that many of them are now just uh, successful uh, contributing family members. And, oh, wonderful, and wonderful. Families and, and uh, are doing good things for the community.
1: Excellent, excellent. OK, so so let's pause there for a moment. We'll take our first break. And then when we come back, I really want to dive into sort of your story and and how you, you your experience of, of being in prison and and this is a topic that i've had other people on the show in the past talk about this but i really feel it's an important topic of sort of the the, the physical prison we're in versus the mental prisons that mm-hmm. we're in and and how that sort of awareness and how that, that that sort of got risen up inside of you and, and how that internal freedom kind of came about for you. Okay.
2: Yeah. that I think it's going to tie right in with your your reading on perception
1: and truth this morning. So uh, yeah. I'm, I'm ready to yeah. dive into that. It, it, it's kind of so funny because I'm just reading these sections in my book, just in order, mm-hmm. you know, going from the beginning through the book, yet somehow the, the section that I end up reading is always so apropos for uh the guest i have for the week so
2: universe has its way of working like that so
1: absolutely everything is is perfect even if it doesn't seem like it so everyone please stay tuned you're listening to the conscious consultant hour awakening humanity we do this every thursday 12 noon to 1 p.m eastern time here on talkradio.nyc and wednesdays at 10 a.m on kmet out of palm springs california and we will be right back with our guest kwan hyun
3: On Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc
1: Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Liebowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's the Conscious Consultant Hour Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. to the Conscious Consultant Hour Awakening Humanity. We're speaking this hour with Quan Hyun, author of the book, Sparrow in the Razor Wire. Uh, So Quan, when you were kid growing up, you said you experienced some racism being a Vietnamese immigrant, um, and and you ended up joining a gang. When you joined the gang, did you ever for once think that you would end up hurting someone, ending up in prison, or, or going in that direction? Um, I think for myself, I justified
2: it to say, well, I'm not really hurting somebody. I'm defending myself or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, so I think it's the tying in with that perception of just the things that, that I told myself to justify that I'm not a bad person. It's just these are things that are, these are circumstances that happen and this is how I have to respond or this is how I have to be defend or oh, I, I didn't mean to hurt that guy but he was attacking my friend. Uh, you know, so uh-huh. all of is that type of
1: uh, work mindset Mm -hmm. and and when you uh, killed the person that you killed um did anything like shift or change inside of you or were you already like so hardened it didn't affect you Then
2: yeah I would say that I was so hardened and calloused I mean um I remember even at that time I was like okay it was my life or theirs Uh, Mm. and that's how I justified it for years even into my life sentence I would Uh. say for at least 10 years 10 11 years I never once thought wait I I killed somebody or there has to be some sense of remorse it it was always oh well I'm in prison for gang murder and which then justified um, me like in the California prisons they have this pecking order of okay you're in for a prison murder, so that's that goes to the top of the food chain. At the bottom is you know people that came in for sex crimes or people that uh, uh, uh or someone that killed their wife or something like that. There's there was there was always this whole spectrum. And to be going into prison for a, a gang murder, then yeah, but you know I'm not as bad as those around me. That's kind of how we looked at it.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. And so over the years that you were in prison. How did that shift or the shift of consciousness or shift of awareness, however you want to phrase it, Mm -hmm. what changed inside of you? What got you to, to see your situation differently?
2: Yeah. Uh, several things. Um, I, I got word that, uh, my grandfather, my father's father passed away. Mm -hmm. Um, and finding about his death, uh, brought me back to my own father and and uh it made me think like how did my life end up here and i contrasted that like i think by the time my father passed away when he was 35 and i was coming around on that age so Um, i was like wait i contrasted my life with my father like how did i end up with a life sentence and yet my father in his 35 years on earth created such an amazing legacy like you know we lost our country. We came here to the United States. He created the Vietnamese Refugee Association. He helped um, our displaced uh, 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 refugees adjust to their new homeland. And he, like his funeral, had so many people there of so many different families that he had helped um, adjust to the United States. When we, we um, I remember as a little boy going to different states with him, and he was helping them fill out. Uh, social security documents and driver's license to me as a little kid this was utterly boring and I didn't understand why my dad explained like yeah I do this for the community I do this for people and I was like how can you do something you don't get paid for and uh, it it was lost on me at the time but um, the only reason why I like going is because I got to spend time with my father Mm -hmm. so I was thinking about that I also got a picture of my little niece it was my younger brother's daughter and she looked just like him as a little girl and that also took me back to my childhood like, like what happened to my life like how did i end up here and am i meant to die uh in here one thing that always gave me an escape are were books um mm-hmm. and i've been known to be quite the bookworm and go down rabbit trails so if i read a book i become fascinated with that topic i go to the back of the book look at the acknowledgments, see what other books they recommend, or look at the footnotes, and just go down rabbit trails. And during that time, I was really fascinated with different books on entrepreneurship and um, business in general. But I, in reading those books, I went down different rabbit trails, and I stumbled and became very fascinated about stories of the saints, um, in particular stories about saints that uh, had failed or done, um failed or made huge mistakes in our lives, but yet had gone on to create such amazing legacies. And these stories really drew me in, like I became fascinated with them. But then, then those lead me into books on mindfulness and spirituality and personal development. So all of that um, just became like this, I guess, perfect storm in my head, my heart, my soul, whatever. And it was just one morning on the prison yard. Um, I was standing at the, the, the fence and my head filled up with all these readings and teachings. And, uh, and I, I, I asked myself, why do I have to view prison as punishment? Why can't this be a place that I remake myself? even if I'm supposed mm-hmm. to die in here, right? Like what you were talking about earlier, perception, like why, okay, this person, we're all experiencing this same, but why can't I view this as a place to, an opportunity to make myself a better human being, like how these saints did it. Um, mm-hmm. What I'm reading about in in these teachings on mindfulness. And of course, the uh, answer from the universe is that we can't. So I remember that moment, uh, the sun was coming up over the hills. I could feel its warmth. Uh, on the little blades of grass, I could see the individual drops of dew and up above me in the razor wire, I heard a sparrow chirping and I tell everyone, you know, sparrows had probably been chirping my whole prison term. I'd never heard it, but that day I heard it. And I would say it was from that day forth that it began for me, you know, this sense of consciousness, this sense of awakening. Um, I then saw other men on the yard, many of them much further along on their journey. Some of them perhaps not even awakened. But I saw like, wait, these are opportunities to connect with other human beings. We're all just on a journey. So I'm here on my journey. Whether it's in prison or not, I can make something of myself. Um, One of the first things I did is I checked into therapy. So this is 25 years after my father had passed away. Mm-hmm. I began the grieving process. Mm-hmm. So then, being the consummate bookworm, I became fascinated with the grief and loss process, um, in particular. And Elizabeth this was Kubler- you said about,
1: about ten years into your prison term. Yeah, this is about the tenth to twelfth year
2: of okay. my term. Yeah, this is where the awakening began for me. Um, I became fascinated with Elizabeth Kubler Ross's model on grief and loss. Mm-hmm. Um, I put together a syllabus and I submitted it well i saw around me though like men were also suffering and were also unable to grieve so that that was like i saw my own issue of an inability to express my emotions and bottle it and i saw it all around me in the men whether it's men that had lost their wives because or, or that have left them so they have that loss we men that had lost children or that have lost their um you know, have grown old in prison. Men that have lost friendships because they're transferred from one f- prison to another and they're leaving behind friends and there's no way to express oh. this. So I saw this huge need for being able to grieve these losses and there was nothing there to help support them. So I put together this um, uh, a syllabus, submitted it to the prison psychologist. He loved it. And we were able to create the prison's first ever grief and loss group. Oh, Inside wow. that group, is when I saw for the first time um, an ability to make meaning and there's a sense of fulfillment for myself. And suddenly I felt alive for once in prison. And then then that became this uh I suddenly had this huge appetite for learning on and facilitating groups and group psychodynamics and going down those rabbit trails, but then creating groups, getting involved with groups. And next thing I know, I realized, hey, I'm here, I am in prison in this little forgotten corner of the world. Nobody would know about it. But yet, here I am. I'm making a difference um, in the lives of other human beings. So for me, I felt absolutely free. Goes right back to that perception question, uh, perception uh, reading that you were talking about. Yeah.
1: uh, I'm curious. Um, you know, most people who've never been in prison, experience prison, th- there's a certain uh, image they have that's probably from TVs and movies about how dangerous prisons are and people constantly getting killed and things like that. I, I imagine when you made that shift, it-, it might have been a little challenging for some of your prison mates to kind of see you like, what happened to Quan? Why-, why is he acting so different all of a sudden? Did you get a lot of that? I did, but I think I got
2: more. They I it drew the right kind of people, or it drew the people that were also looking for like they would come up to me like, um, Hey, I I feel your happiness or I feel your light, or however we want to describe it. But I drew them in and then we began to help we find each other and to help each other. Yes, in the midst of prison, but I think we were able to bring light to to a lot of that darkness in there mm, mm. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah so so even though you know prison's not such a great environment but you you were able to sort of make that switch and as opposed to like you know some other inmates like beating you up for it like people actually uh got attracted to you because of it because they were experiencing their own pain and they wanted in a yeah, way
2: what you would find. yeah i i think and i th- guess that goes back to even the perception of what constitutes someone that's incarcerated are these just rabid animals wanting to to hurt each other is that what right. we've seen on the, the media or are these just human beings that um inherently every human being is is good and is looking for goodness in others and in themselves and but they've forgotten it, or or it's right. buried deep, and um, so that's 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 what I, I truly believe. Because I, I saw, I was on the right path, and then there were it started to draw others, and I never felt like, oh, somebody's gonna come get me because I am on this path. It's more wait. I think I see a lost soul behind those that man with the thousand yard stare. I yeah. see a, a, a young scared boy behind this toughened exterior with tattoos all over his face and neck Um, that's how I started seeing these men
1: wonderful wonderful all right awesome so we're going to take our next break when we come back I want to talk a little bit more about what happened once you started this group and working with the prison psychologist in this program and 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 the changes that you saw in, in other inmates as well okay okay Mm-hmm. Wonderful, Kwan. Thank you so much. So everyone, please stay tuned. You're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. My guest this hour is Kwan Hyun, author of the book Sparrow in the Razor Wire. And we will be right back in just a moment. This is
3: the story of the wand. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand and he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by Granger for the ones who get it done.
0: What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify?
1: Quan, getting back to sort of your story, you had this moment of extreme presence, and it really woke up within you uh, uh, this desire to to live a better life, I guess, in a way, regardless of what your external circumstances were. And then you you started exploring this idea of grief and loss, and you work with the the prison counselor to, to sort of create these programs what did you see in in the other inmates that you worked with like how were you able to help them and and, and were their was their transformation similar to yours or was it different yeah so um
2: i mean we could tie this right back into perception and truth again uh in the california prison system when uh, a lifer goes to the parole board each a uh, person is issued a parole hearing transcripts. Um, it and the culture in there's men never share their transcripts with each other. Each time you go to the board, they issue the transcript, and nobody asks about it. Nobody shares it. They don't talk about it. Um, so I never knew what the parole process really looked like heading into it. So, um. You know, remember, we we're talking about drawing the right people into our circle. There was this other man that him and I used to share books. Um, and one day he decided to, uh, I don't know why to this day, but he decided to uh, bring to me his six or seven parole transcripts of every parole hearing that he had got into. He'd been wow. uh, incarcerated probably like 30-something years already. He had he a it to me here you want to read my transcripts. Um, and as I read it, I realized what he told me happened in the hearings and stuff and what actually happened were two totally different things. Mm. Here is the form of truth that I could actually see with my, my eyes, you know, it's something tangible. Whereas before, like, even like I knew like, Hey, we we're looking at prison wrong. We were looking at, but it's just, more like am i looking at this wrong or are are these guys looking at but there's nothing really tangible it's just like man this is how i see it i feel crazy but this is how i see this place here's such opportunity for us to become better but then with the pearl transcript i'm seeing wait i know why the pearl board is not letting him to go home it's not because of his crime it's because of how he's describing his culpability and the choices that he's owning. And I'm starting, I started to see this because at the time I was very fascinated with, you know, books on personal responsibility and um yeah ownership and and how powerful even words and the words you use can describe things. So I sat with him and I said, I think I know why uh, uh you're the they're not letting you go. So one of my other friends also began to sit with us, and he gave me his transcript, and we started helping each other. And so people saw us, and they were like, "What did What are you guys doing sitting there with Quan?" and and um, Bobby says, "Quan's helping me prepare for the parole board." And they're like, "You guys are crazy! Like Quan has never been to the parole board. How can Quan help you?" And he's like, "I don't. We're helping each other." So um, we were sitting there, and my friend that sat with us, he went to the parole board first walked in with the understanding of what we had said or the how, how we wanted to approach the hearing he gets found suitable and that opened the floodgates like whoa Quan yeah, no one... and them know something so then men started coming to me more but one thing i required was the truth the transcript i asked uh, it's not what and, and and sure enough the guys were like well okay but let me tell you my story and they start telling me and you by that time it came to me like hey listen it became uh uh, for me a more uh uh, efficient way it's like no you know i don't i I will not sit with you until i actually read your transcript and your and your psych evals i want all paperwork first and then i'll see how they describe the truth right their perception Mm -hmm. of the truth so um Mm -hmm. that's how it began and i started to see it's i guess it's human nature to always um cast ourselves in a good light so it's I mean, yeah, like even uh, uh, the the little thing of jumping on to a Zoom call late, and instead of just owning and say, "Hey, you know, I'm sorry for being late. Oh, it's because this, 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 and this." So um, I still see it out, out here, but it's it, and it, and it's normal. And and I think the the freedom though and the liberation is to just own it. Own the truth, and instead of trying to tell ourselves a different story, um, and that is where the men that used to sit with me—they all wanted to come home, which is that's a great idea. I mean, that's that's great. But my um, motivation in sitting with them is: yes, I'll, I I want to help you go home, but I think more importantly, I want to help you to get to this place of inner freedom that I've already achieved. Like I I mm-hmm. feel like this is such a responsibility of mine to share. Like, I'm free already, and and these guys don't see it, and I want to get them there. So there were, maybe I helped, like, 10, 12 men um, go home over those last few years that I was there, which is not an insignificant amount.
1: But um, when when you were were helping these other inmates be able to get parole and go home, did you ever think that you would be able to go home? Um. I, I I'm not sure. I I think I think so. But uh, for me, it was like I,
2: it's it's gonna be up to the universe for me. Like that's how I looked at. I was like, hey, if that's the path for me, then that's the path for me. But for me right now, I know I am right where I'm supposed to be, and I'm I am doing for once in my life what I'm supposed to be doing. So um, when I was denied parole the first time they denied me five years. So I said, okay, well, for the next five years, I can help quite a bit of men and I can become an even better human being. But then there was a part of me that, I, I guess by that time, I, I I felt very led by my intuition or my gut. And whenever mm-hmm. things feel right in my gut, I move forward with it. That's how I base my decisions since then. And that's how I base my decisions now. But um, even after that five-year denial, um I think I saw, just the the people on the yard said that when they saw me get um, a five year, they said, "See, um, if Quan knew it all, why would he get a five year denial?" And I had some of um, my own inner circle and some family like doubted, like, "Hey, we think you shouldn't. Uh, we're concerned about your mental health. Um, you shouldn't uh, put all your eggs in one basket," because I think at the time there were less than one percent of lifers going home anyway. But for me, I just felt like, I know, I think like my, there's much more for me to do in this world. Like, yes, I can do stuff now, but my, my fate is not to be, to die in here. Like my fate was in here to learn, but then I could share this gift that I've, and the secret I've learned, um, and, and, and do much more impactful things. I just knew in my gut, like I'm going to go home someday, but not just to go home, but I'm going home to do bigger things so how, how many times
1: it. how many times did you end up going to the parole board and how i would you eventually i went twice. Parole, twice i went twice
2: um i got a five-year denial, but i put in a petition to advance my hearing at mm-hmm. a year and a couple months after which also caused its own um, like because men had said oh you have to wait at least three years before you put this in and i said why why where do we come up with these uh, like truths right, that we right, say?" Right, and i questioned right. it and and so guys on the yard when i when i put it in and and they granted it they all said oh they only granted it so they could bring him in and give him a longer denial so it was just weird consciousness that (laughs) that men believed in in there so i went in my second time and they found me suitable um so i paroled in november of 2015. were you surprised that that they paroled you after the second time in that hearing yes because it was it was going awful it, it, uh, it was yeah the the hearing was not going well but i mean maybe that's i i had to go through that to, to prove my my worth to the parole commissioners because mm-hmm. they were not giving it to me easy and i thought for sure i was getting denied but um my attorney even thought i was getting denied and we said hey let's just push up this hearing this is an unfair hearing but um I said you know I'm here to hold myself accountable I showed up today not to be found suitable but to be held accountable so let's go back in there and continue the hearing there's no need to postpone and and because I felt uh, a betrayal of everything that I had Mm. built and, and and wanted to achieve in my own personal growth and in my own personal self so I went back in we finished the hearing and they started they went to the Liberations, came back, and started reading all the legal jargon. And suddenly somewhere in it, I heard, and we find the prisoner is no longer dangerous. And I was like, oh. what? Yeah, that's yeah. how it happened.
1: Wow. So I guess that was a big surprise after the the, the trial going so challenging yeah. to hear that, like, oh, 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 they're going to let me out. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. That must have been really uh, uh, something. Um, you know, before I ask my next question, why don't we take our last break? Because when we come back, I want to talk about your life after prison and, okay. and what things have been like since and and what the adjustment has been like for you. OK, sure. awesome. So everyone, please stay tuned. You're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour Awakening Humanity. And we'll be right back with our guests So, Quan, and and quick shout out to Patty, loyal listener. I saw her checking in on the live streams. Glad you're with us today, Patty. Um, You get paroled, you come home. Was that adjustment difficult for you from going from this very structured, very closed environment to now you have freedom or? Or, or was it actually easier than you thought it would be because you already found the internal freedom within you um
2: can i cheat and say yes to both i mean yes um, <laughs> i mean there there, yeah, there are so many things like so much color out here so many smells um the first night um even the first week i probably only slept like 20 something hours um the first night coming home it was too quiet and too dark for me. Uh I'm used I was used to at that time the shuffling of men walking to the restroom in their sandals, the toilet flushing in the, middle of the night, the jingling of the guards walking, and there was always this constant noise or, or low buzz. And to come home to complete darkness and quiet. Uh so I remember waking up by like three, four in the morning. Um not being able to sleep and being so excited i'm home but yet everybody's asleep what do i do okay you know what let me make some coffee and looking through the cupboards at my brother's house at the time where is instant coffee and looking at the coffee machine and i i don't know how to work the machine so i was like what yeah, why, why uh, is it so hard why is just there are no instant coffee and i just put some hot water and and so then Okay, I can't have coffee right now. Let me just watch TV, um, and so maybe fall back to And turning on the TV and being feeling overwhelmed because there's hundreds of channels. I and mean, I was like, why can't? Where is just CBS or PBS or just regular channels I know? How do I get there? And not being able to figure it out because there's so many buttons on the remote. So even just little things like that. Um, uh, I remember the first time seeing the the self checkout kiosk um and just yeah being fascinated and like ooh, like how does this work like look at this technology but yeah um so those are just those are just little things that that i i I noticed um of of coming out just yeah those little things and there's always this constant um consciousness in the back of my head like do they know I just got out of prison. I know people know, they could just look at me and know, but nobody knows. But there was in, in my head, I kept telling myself, they know I just got
1: out. What was your family's reaction to you coming out? Oh, they were they were so so happy. Um yeah, they, they were very happy
2: with me coming out. Uh I think there there were also challenges in that though, because I think uh many of them only knew the Quran from Uh, 16, 17 years ago, um, I had evolved in my thinking, in the way I um, communicate, the way I uh, hold space, the way I have my boundaries. And um, some of them, uh, most of them had not, or maybe not had the opportunity, but never had to be faced with Uh, having any self-examination so some of them had not perhaps even evolved or there were still a certain family dynamics that they interacted with each other and so now I saw it whereas back then I was was oblivious to it and now I saw it and so there's yeah so it's just for me being able to come to a place of acceptance like hey um nobody's better or worse than anybody it's just we 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 don't see the world the same way. Our mm-hmm. perception of the world is not the same. Um and our perception of this, this experience together right now is not the same, but I'm okay with that because I know where I've come from and I know what what, what are my values now and, and and um
1: how I want to show up. So so, so. When you got out of prison, you, you you started your own business. You also now have started a nonprofit. Why don't you talk to us about the nonprofit a little bit? what is the mission of the nonprofit and 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 why did you start it?
2: Yeah. Oh, uh, to be clear, I did not start it. I ah, okay. uh I was involved with I was involved with them. It's called Defy Ventures. Mm-hmm. Um their mission is to shift mindsets to give people with criminal histories their best shot at a second chance through uh career readiness personal development and entrepreneurship training programs so mm. um they run a seven-month program inside the prisons uh culminating in a, a business pitch competition that's judged Shark Tank style by volunteers from the business community that come in yeah. so um yeah I'd love to invite you and your network in with this so uh but I was involved with that program while incarcerated uh mm. so I remember the first coaching event we had with like 40, 50 volunteers coming in, their smiles, their color, their warmth. Um, And I was like, man, these are successful human beings. This was in uh, Solano. So it was, they had a really big tech presence, a bunch of people from Google, eBay, and everything came in. Um, And I saw like, man, these are very successful people that really believe in us. Like, yeah, the world is not what we tell ourselves about the outside world or how they're they, they're they judge us or there's this stigma yes there's a stigma but then that's not all of the the, it, the it, exactly
1: there. It, it there may be some people like that but not everyone is like yes. that but that's mm. how our mind tends to work right we sort yeah. of lump everybody in together into one big yes. category whereas the truth is there's many different shades of that category yeah. there's mm-hmm. many different not
2: everything is black i mean it's, instead of being in black and white there's different colors so yeah, yeah. yeah. but sure. um I I joined so of course when I came home um I worked in real estate and um helped launch my family's restaurant but then when I found out that the five Ventures was expanding out to Southern California um and they were looking for someone to help build out their post-release program I, I felt like, hey, I felt led in my gut, like, this is what I want to do. Like, I'm not doing impactful work like I was doing in prison. Let me get involved with them. So I joined their their team in 2017. Um, over the years, my roles and responsibilities have grown. And then last year, I stepped into the role of executive director for Southern California. So I oversee our um, our entire post-release program or prison delivery. Uh, our, um, yeah, so I get to... Wonderful.
1: Yeah, um we all have a couple minutes left but I would love for you to just give maybe some advice to my listeners that if anyone listening to this either on the podcast or if they find the video somewhere however they hear this on the the radio and in in Palm Springs if somebody has a relative a friend someone they know in prison what would you say to that person how would you say they can best support the person they know in prison
2: i think they would best support them not by um not by telling them what they should do i think they sh- could best support them by asking them what they the loved one could do for them or what they um like show up in a place of not like, okay, just because you're in prison, I, uh, uh, that you don't know better, that you don't know any better. Just ask about their journey, understand about them and get them to a place of of awakening. Um, yeah. Instead of being coming from a place of giving advice, unless the person asks for advice, maybe just come with lead with curiosity and, and ask them about their journey and just ask them about um, so you open up the opportunity to uh, give them the advice when it's needed, because they may not need it at that moment in time. Right.
1: Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Kwan, thank you so much for, for sharing your journey with our audience. And thank you for the work that you do. Something I've been very aware of for a number of years, that our our prison system is not a a reformation system. It's more of a punishment system. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are ways of turning it into something that can really reform people and help people. If someone listening to the show would like to learn more about your work or learn about Defy Ventures, um, where can they uh, find you? Like how would they get in touch with you?
2: Yeah. um, They could find me on all social media at uh, Quan KwanXWin, like quanx h-u-y-n-h um they can find me uh, through my website Sparrow in the razor Um, if they want to learn more about my work in the prisons or want to get involved come in as a uh a coach or a judge uh, mm-hmm. at our events they could go right to our site DefyAdventures.org. Defy like defying the odds yeah mm-hmm.
1: wonderful wonderful well thank you and yes i very much um, I'm actually, believe it or not, in Southern California right now. I'm down in San Diego, but I leave Friday to get back home to New York. Mm. Um, but I would love to 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 connect with you more afterwards and and uh, there's some things going on that can maybe help help facilitate this. So So thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Thank you for sharing your story. I really hope people get out there. Remember, his book is entitled Sparrow in the Razor Wire. Um, You can find it on Amazon and all the major booksellers. Um, Please pick it up, read it, and check out defyventures.org so you can see the wonderful work that they're doing. So thank you, Kwan. Thank you, my loyal listeners, for tuning in as always. Remember, if you missed any part of today's show, you can always catch the replay on talkradio.nyc. And you can find us on all the major social media, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. And uh, we're on all the major podcasting platforms, Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio. And if we're not on your favorite podcasting platform, let me know and we will make sure to get on there. Thank you all for tuning in. Don't forget, later today at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, it's Frank Harrison in the show, Frank, about health. And tomorrow, of course, we have our Friday block of business show, starting off with Philanthropy in Focus, Always Friday, and ending up with Intangify, our newest show on the network. Thank you all for tuning in. We will talk to you all next week. Take care. <music>
0: You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower.
5: This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working...